Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm very blessed, Conrad. I'm good. Uh, I wish our country was a little bit more stable. Uh, we all got to learn to get along. I know that's a cliche, but golly, common sense, folks, common sense. Be kind to your fellow man. You know, the good Lord created all of us, uh, in his image, as I'm told. And I believe that, uh, the color of your skin should be irrelevant, totally irrelevant and your sexual proclivities or your whatever you, you have the right in this country to live your life. That's what some people are trying to do. And those that, uh, so violently oppose others living their life as they choose, uh, are weak. They're weak and, and they don't need to be speaking up. Shut the fuck up about other people's uh, likes, dislikes, and this, and black lives do matter, which means that all lives matter. So it's just, uh, I'm, I'm kind of over that deal. That's all I'm going to talk about that today. Just how I feel, uh, that, uh, it's dividing our country in, in too many ways. And as we talked about before we started recording, how a, these Corona masks can become a political hot button is beyond embarrassingly ignorant in my opinion. Just in my opinion, if you're, you're listening and you didn't want to wear a mask, folks, that's your, that's your prerogative. It's not real smart, but it's your prerogative. I'm not going to knock your opinion. God, Conrad, if we did that, we'd be answering uh, texts and uh, Twitter stuff all that all day, you know? Uh, so I, I believe that we've, we need to move on and uh, this will be a, this will be a fun show. We're going to entertain you today, folks. We're going to inform you. We're going to entertain you. And, uh, I think you're going to enjoy the show about Bobby Lashley. Yeah. I'm excited for us to talk about Bobby Lashley. He feels like, uh, I don't know, an interesting case for us to discuss because I think a, a lot of people have a strong opinion one way or another. Let's start at the very beginning. Franklin Roberto Lashley was born July 16th. So today is his birthday. Of course, born in 1976. He's the son of a United States army drill sergeant with three older sisters. He was introduced to amateur wrestling in seventh grade as an off season alternative to football. He went to Missouri Valley, uh, which is a college in the NAIA, and he was the national wrestling champion at 177 pounds in 1996, 1997, and 1998. He was training to qualify for Team USA in the Olympics in 04 when he was a witness to a bank robbery. <laughs> and uh, he was forced to dive for cover to avoid gunfire, and he injured his knee, which ended his amateur career. What a fascinating story to end an amateur career that looked to be pretty bright. I assume that based on what you told us last week, when we were wrapping up our nitro episode, that, uh, you first become aware of Bobby Lashley through Gerald Briscoe, or was it someone else who put Bobby on your radar? No, I think Jerry Briscoe was the guy. Uh, an another point about, uh, Lashley training for the Olympics. Uh, he won his last national title in 1998, six years later. Six years of getting ready to try out and, and, and hopefully make the Olympic team, uh, six years in the making, he gets involved, uh, not involved. He was the innocent bystander in wrong place, wrong time on his bank robbery. So it was a damn shame on how that amateur dream, uh, fell short, but you know, to Bobby's credit, which a lot of amateur guys have the same mindset. They, they accept challenges better than the average Joe. The average eight by 10 guy sometimes doesn't react to adversity as well as an athlete that comes from a structured athletic environment, such as amateur wrestling. 
So, uh, Bobby had, he, 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 he got a bad hand on that deal, but I think, uh, you know, Gerald Briscoe did a, has, has done, uh, such an amazing job over the years of finding talent, uh, obscure talents from the, uh, amateur ranks. <clears throat> and that's largely because, uh, Jerry's got a, has developed over the years when he was full time with WWE or, or he's been furloughed, but <clears throat> pardon me. Nonetheless, I think that he, uh, he just has a, a uh, what would you say? A, uh, a, a, a train or, or, a, or, or he has a lot of contacts. A lot of people talk to Jerry because they're looking to get their kid a job. You know, they're no different than a football coach talking well to a scout. This kid's got something, you know, pick him up, do whatever. So I think Jerry brought him to me and all he had to tell me was he was a three-time national champion and he wants to be a pro wrestler. So, you know, that to me moved the needle a, a great deal. And then when I saw Bobby, you know, I didn't know that he was African-American or what I, I could care less. It didn't matter to me, but when I saw pictures of him, I thought, man, this kid's got the, he's got an amazing look. He jumps off the page at you, a good looking guy, educated, comes from a structured family. Like you said, Conrad, his dad was a drill sergeant. So Bobby Lashley came in, uh, on my purview through Jerry Briscoe, but, and, and he excited all of us because we thought that he had really unlimited potential if, if he could adapt, uh, to the pro wrestling style and the antics, the psychology, the facial expressions, all those things that you have to have to get successful. Athletically speaking, he had everything. That's apparent because you look at his class, he comes in the developmental with tank Tolan, Damon Thompson, Mark Magnus, Chris cage, Brent Albright. And of course, Bobby Lashley all signed developmental deals around the same time. I mean, do you remember anybody else in that class uh, as being a standout? I mean, of this class, the only one who had any real success is Bobby Lashley. Brent Albright's probably a name that a lot of listeners have heard of, but maybe couldn't even pick him out of a lineup. Yeah. Brent was Oklahoma boy. We gave a shot to, uh, had some potential. Uh, the other guys were like high, highly recommended indie guys. And you know, you, you gotta have guys that can play second base and hit eighth, the same as you have guys that are going to hit cleanup. So you want live bodies that, that has some skill set, And quite frankly, some of those guys are signed to essentially work out with the, uh, the top line guys. Uh, and help them get better too. And then you never know when you discover somebody that's got it that you can utilize. But a lot of those guys last year was obviously the big star of that whole class. And, uh, you know, we, again, the potential seemed to be unlimited, but the other guys, you know, for whatever reasons, uh, didn't make it. And, uh, but, and Bobby is still sustaining his career. It's worth mentioning Mark Magnus would go on to be Muhammad Hassan. So we know his story, Brent Albright would become NWA champion while wrestling with ring of honor. And don't get me wrong. They all had varying degrees of success, but we know Bobby Lashley's star is going to shine the brightest. One of the early episodes of, of Bobby Lashley being in OVW, uh, had Jim Cornette proclaim on commentary that Lashley had the same amount of potential as Brock Lesnar when he started. And when you first glance at Lashley, it's kind of hard not to see the comparison how long until Vince gets a look at him and did he start salivating with the same thought? Well, he didn't meet, uh, Bobby. Vince did not meet Bobby like in, in the, with the grandiose way that he met Brock Lesnar, different deal. Apples and oranges here. The comparison was physical. You know, L- Lashley had this great strength. He had the amateur background. 
He looked great. All the same things we could say about Brock. Uh, so I think that was why the comparison was made. This simply the fact that we've got another, uh, heavyweight, uh, amateur star, uh, that we have great expectations for. I, I could describe when we first signed Brock the same exact way, amateur champion. We think he can be a star. Let's see how hard he's willing to work. And the great thing about Bobby in those days, they didn't, we never had any issues of Bobby working hard. Bobby was a warrior. And again, you get that Connor and your dad's a drill sergeant in the army. And when you're a three-time national champion, you're used to structure and you're used to hard work. And we found both those attributes with Bobby. Do you think Lashley took to pro wrestling as quickly as, as Lesnar did? I mean, people have said over the years that, you know, Lesnar and Kurt Angle and guys like that were just a natural, they were attacking the mat right away and they couldn't believe how quickly they picked it up. Did the reports you heard about Lashley sort of line up with those? Yeah, pretty much same ballpark, same ballpark. Hard to say who had the better aptitude in the early, early days of their careers. Uh, Lesnar did take and take to it greatly uh, and quickly. Not as quickly as Angle. Angle seemed like, what the hell were you been? He's been doing this in another life, all this, you know, and the, you know, whatever. He, he, uh, but last he was right there in that same conversation. I can't say he was better. Right. But I sure, sure, sure as heck can't say that he was worse uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So all three of them fit, checked a lot of boxes. And, uh, you know, it was a good hire. It was a good signing for, for us to get Bobby. Let's talk about what they're doing with him in OVW. I mean, again, I think you're, no longer uh, running talent relations by the time this happens, but I may be wrong on the timeline on that, but Cornette, who's still running OVW at the time is having Bobby squash guys in, in under a minute. And he's working as a heel. Do you feel like this is the best introduction for a talent like him to try to learn to work on TV? Uh, I mean, just, uh, I, I ask because I feel like sometimes there is, um, maybe a lack of insistence of short matches for guys with limited ability. And maybe they're trying to show what they could do to the agents or the agents are giving them a little more freedom, but they had a very regimented formula for Bobby where it was in and out quick squashes mm-hmm. by a big monster heel. Yeah. Well, that, that theory had been used for years in the territories to get heels over, to get ready for the top baby face. That's not unusual. That's not an unusual practice. The, you make your money in developmental in practice. I don't sound like Robert, uh, what's Iverson's name, uh, that's former great basketball player of the 76ers, uh, uh, whatever his name was Iverson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Alan, you know, Alan, you don't know what I'm talking about either. Do you? The answer, Alan Iverson, AI yeah, practice, Alan, yeah, AI. practice crossover dribble. Great, great, great talent practice. Yeah. Because the hours you spend in practice hugely overlook, uh, and over and supersede the amount of minutes that you actually spend in a TV match. So you make your money in practice. Are you on time? Are you, st- are you staying in shape? Are you coming clear headed? And more importantly, are you willing to listen, absorb and work hard to apply what you've just heard? And uh, Bobby did all those things. So I never had any really issue with that. I never got involved with, uh, Cornette and Danny Davis and, and whoever else was there in their, in their, uh, uh, their brain trust regarding who's a heel, who's a baby face, how you book them. That's not how you d- do it. Uh, I, I, in my opinion, that's not how I did it. And it seemed like it worked all right because those guys that came out of OVW, uh, a lot of them are, are now millionaires. Some are hall of famers. Some are going to be hall of famers and they've all, a lot of them have had, had amazing careers. So I think our system worked in that regard. So I didn't have any issue with how Bobby was used. 
I was only concerned about how is Bobby practicing because he go in and do his look. We did Goldberg in that nitro show, right? Goldberg had three or four moves. He's a big powerhouse. And so he had three or four moves and that's enough. If you do them right, you do them at the appropriate time and you have all the other little things surrounding it. Facial expressions. I mentioned body English, things of that nature. So that's what we needed to work with Bobby on was that. And he was a little challenged to, to do, to pr- process that because I don't know that Bobby was a long time, uh, pro wrestling fan. Uh, my sense of it, that he was not, he didn't have the familiarity with a lot of things that you w- would, if you were a TV fan. So, uh, but no, I had no issues with it. You know, just, I didn't, I, I didn't question the booking. Uh, he, there was a reason for him being a heel. Right. They had some, they had something in mind. And again, practice is the key. Without question. And, uh, repetition is the key. And, and we, we see that quite a bit here, but within a year of him, uh, working on TV for OVW, he's on the road doing house shows. Uh, he pops up in Knoxville, Tennessee in March of 05. And, uh, he's working against a spike Dudley. Uh, this is, this is a big deal, man. Um, what do you think about, you know, fast tracking a guy? I mean, this is not normal in the era is my point that you would have been in quote unquote wrestling school for a relatively nominal amount of time. And boom, we're putting you on the house shows. What was the thinking and a lot of thinking in that era for that? Get him in front of a live crowd that's paying money to buy a ticket and come see uh, the wrestling show that night. Uh, see how he's going to react to how they react to him. Uh, if he's going to listen, you know, one of the great things about one of the great attributes one must have to be a successful pro wrestler is the ability to listen, uh, to listen to the audience. You need to sell them what they're buying and you can't do that. If you don't pay attention to them, that doesn't mean you got to look at them and want them to ask them to cheer and cup your ear and all those things. That's the big, that's the guys that eat at the, eat at the grown up table to do. Uh, at this level, you just, you need to feel the crowd. Do they energize you? Do they motivate you? Do they, do they take you to help you get to another spot, another level, in other words. So I had no issues with that deal. Everybody should do that. And the other thing about this is that you notice that he was working. Uh, we booked him with Spike Dudley or they booked him with Spike Dudley. Who's a hell of a hand, uh, from his ECW days and WWE days, Spike was a smart guy, uh, good to put in the ring with a young, uh, guy like, uh, Bobby Lashley or anybody, he was very valuable in that regard. So we had him with the right guy that could lead the match. And all Bobby had to do was listen. And he did. And, uh, we know it's going to pay dividends. We should mention that there's a huge shakeup in may of Oh five, uh, where Jim Cornette was suspended for five weeks for quote, blowing a number of gaskets recently. And we've heard over the years, a lot's been written and said about the relationship with Johnny Ace and OVW specifically, uh, with Jim Cornette's managerial style and approach. And, uh, I don't know your take on it. I mean, do you think Corny was just still, um, doing things the old school way and maybe that didn't work with the new corporate image WWE had, or how would you classify Corny and OVW sort of coming to an end? Well, it became a cultural, uh, situation, you know, Corny's visions, uh, or albeit very fundamentally sound. Uh, I think it's like, uh, you know, he's a lightning rod as we all know, uh, he's controversial, uh, whether it's for good or for for worse, I, I, that's everybody's opinion and their judgment. What he was saying in, in helping these guys was on the money. 
his presentation skills at times left a lot to be desired. He ran out of patience. You can see he was kind of burning out because he wasn't able to run the uh, school uh, in autonomy. There were, you know, we were paying, I was, his check was coming out of my budget. And so I didn't interfere with very many things, but he had to fit into the corporate world. And to some degree, he had a very challenging time doing that. And, uh, I think that's what led to his demise. And plus he didn't have the relationship with, uh, that he had with me. And I'm not saying nothing, not wrong about Laurinaitis. All the deal is simple. Cornette and I knew each other for decades prior to that situation, years and years. So he knew I was straight shooter. He could communicate with me. We had some, we had similar mindsets and John was more, uh, corporately, uh, a position. He was more comfortable uh, in that corporate world because he wanted to follow, didn't want to make any ways, uh, with Vince, obviously. So, uh, and I, when I was doing it, uh, Vince had very little to do with the, if anything, other than his money, which is a pretty big deal, uh, on the developmental side. He didn't say, who's this guy working with, or what kind of finish does this guy have, or who's Leviathan and, and, and why is this guy nothing? He didn't watch it. Right. He depended on me and our team to evaluate and, uh, and, and promote as we saw fit. So I think Corny just the corporate world, uh, of how the WWE was becoming Conrad was not his cup of tea. He did not play well with others at times Uh, again, but I'll bracket this by saying, even though I did not agree with some of his, uh, antics, as you, as you mentioned, uh, and his communication skills sometimes left a little to be desired, make no mistake that, uh, his knowledge of pro wrestling is, is uh, outstanding. Uh, at, at that time, just really outstanding. I think he took everything too seriously at times. Uh, he had great ownership, felt great ownership of that whole situation. I've talked to Danny Davis many times, you know, what's the, what's the deal with corny. I'd hear a report. He got in this guy's face. He cussed this guy out. Well, you know, that's not how you, that might be how Bill Watts used to do it. Right. That, that might be how Jerry Jarrett used to do it or, or, or Lawler when, when, and I don't think that's the case, by the way, uh, cowboy would cowboy would get in your shit. If you, if you kept making the same mistake right? and like an old football coach, you can't, you know, you're not pass blocking, you know, you, you allowed three sacks last week. What the fuck's wrong with you? So that's a, that was kind of how I look at that. Uh, it's just, it, it came a time. I think he just got burned out and I think that he didn't like the corporate world and he didn't have the relationship with John, uh, Laurinaitis to be able to salvage the scenario. He still looked at John as a member of the dynamic dudes a preliminary mid-card tag team wrestler. Well, when, when Courtney's out, Tommy dreamer is going to take over as booker and that's gotta be kind of stressful for a guy like Bobby Lashley, who had been positioned well with these quick one minute squashes. Tommy's going to come under a little bit of criticism. People maybe prefer Cornette's booking style. If you're a talent and there's a major change like this in developmental, and you're hoping that OVW is not the destination. It's just a stepping stone to get to the main roster. And it feels like there's a shift in creative. Uh, that's gotta be something that's pretty worrisome. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, but you know, uh, you, you ha- it's like coaching. It, the teams get new coaches. Players have got the, the responsibility. Of the athletes is to, is to form a relationship with your coach. Dreamer was a coach. 
it was Dreamer's responsibility to, to, to mend those fences. If, if they were down, be able to cross those bridges if you could. And so that was a, it's a two edged sword here, but it, a lot of that goes on the talent. I know a lot of fans. Well, they're, they're, they're all pro talent. The talents don't make any mistakes. It's the office. It's the goddamn push. I didn't get blah, 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 but their talents have to look at themselves in a mirror a little bit longer and a little bit more frequently sometimes when they talk about their, uh, their, 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 their problems or issues. So I, I had no issues with the, that deal that look in territories. When I worked for Watts in mid South, we had a lot of bookers. We had a lot of bookers. We had Ernie, we had Ken Mantell, we had Buck Robley, you know, we, we had Eddie Gilbert, we had Terry Taylor. Cowboy tried a lot of bookers. Cowboy was the final say, and that might've been the problem down there is that we didn't have somebody other than Jimmy in that final say situation. You know, it wasn't going to be me cause I got a full-time gig in Stanford. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a talent issue, but talents are obligated. I never heard that many issues about Tommy dreamers booking, you know, unless he just, everybody thought he was just trying to replicate ECW and, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't know how, how that, I can't figure that out cause Tommy's a lifer. He's a professional, you know, he does a good job, uh, with, with our, my friend Dave LaGreco on busted open radio. So he's doing good now. And, uh, so I, I don't understand that because Tommy's normally pretty easy to get along with. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Let's talk about the purge that happened in July of 05. Uh, it was in the figure four weekly issue. It was a cleansing this week as a uh, five day period released 19 contracted performers, including Jim Cornette, Matt Morgan, several men just drafted all three Dudleys, two newlyweds and a pregnant diva who had just been told weeks earlier. She had nothing to worry about. Uh, and this is essentially the first mass cut since the transition from you to Johnny ACE. Did these people reach out to you regarding the releases? Was there any hostility towards Johnny Ace that you may have heard of? I mean, we got the Dudleys, George Giovanni, Kenzo Suzuki, Matt Morgan, Charlie Haas, Jackie Gata, Marty Janetti, Don Marie, Mark Jindrak, Maven, Kidman, Shannon Moore, Akio, Gangrel, Kevin Fertig. Lots of talent here. Any of these jump out to you as missed opportunities? Would you? hear from some of these guys, because this is the first major one without Jim Ross. Yeah. I would, I would have never released the Dudleys, uh, because you got to have, uh, high skill guys to help other guys get better. Right. It don't work without that. It doesn't work that, that way at all. You get young versus young and who, and both of them want to get, well, quote unquote, get over so they can get more of a push. And, uh, the Dudleys have been there, done that. All, they've been great with any tag teams they're booked with. So I wouldn't, I've been very reluctant to even think about releasing the Dudleys. That's just me. Uh, you know, I always thought that if we had, if our system had been more attuned to Matt Morgan, uh, that we would have gotten more out of him because he was a big athlete, basketball player, you know, close to seven feet tall, good looking kid, educated, well-spoken. Uh, I don't know that we, I, I think we could have done better with Matt. Uh, you know, uh, Matt's done well since he got out of wrestling, but, uh, I, I thought he could have 
we, we could have done something with him. You can't, you can't coach or you can't manufacture size, right? Athletic, athletic size. And Matt Morgan had those things. So, uh, and the other guys, look, there were some good solid hands in this group that you just mentioned. Yeah. You know, you know, there were some good solid, there's some good solid hands. I don't, I I'm assuming that some people just got the, uh, the more people got involved in, uh, in as happens sometimes in WWE, more people got involved in the process. So everybody had their two cents. So everybody's going to tell Vince, this guy ain't got it. Why we have him here. This guy's body looks like shit, blah, blah, blah. And Laurinaitis was not going to die on that hill. He was not going to stand up and battle, uh, to keep somebody. If it's going to cause consternation with the higher ups, I had a little different arrangement with the, with Vince and, and, and I was going to either live or die with the, with the success of the developmental program, but I didn't have, I didn't have everybody else and their brother and their, and, their, and the whole nine yards, uh, knocking it, but they did, they did it behind my back, which is very easy could have happened in pro wrestling. So I think that was the situation. Lauren, I didn't want to have the confrontation. He did not want to confront the old man about this guy's got something, Vince, we're making a mistake, blah, blah, blah. Uh, unless you know how to communicate with McMahon telling him he made a mistake is intimidating for some people. I feel like we should also mention that when there is a bloodletting like this, usually it means there's going to be some new talent debut. And that's certainly the case for Bobby Lashley. Uh, he goes from a name change from blaster Lashley to Bobby Lashley, which is obviously very good. Something else that's written in the newsletters around this time is that Bobby Lashley's facials are also very, very good. And, uh, that eventually earns him an opportunity on the main roster. In September of 05, he debuts on SmackDown and, uh, Brian Alvarez would write Simon Dean versus Bobby Lashley. Tony Chimmel read Lashley's entire resume before calling him out, which is more than they've done for 99% of the guys they've debuted in WWE in the past 10 years. Lashley, who the last time I saw him had the best physique in all of wrestling looked 10 pounds heavier this week. Sweet Jesus crowd was totally into him because he's a monster. And with that said, he still needs so much work. Fans went nuts when he won. So provided they don't screw this up and try to have him go 20 minutes with someone next week, there is a strong possibility. He can be the next big thing. Simon Dean, of course, the former supernova from ECW. He's probably the right type of opponent for Lashley in his debut, right? what did you think about his debut? And, and clearly the fans are behind him just based on looks alone. Well, Simon Dean was Mike Bucci, right? Yes. Uh, Mike's a real bright guy and he knew why he was there. He executed his role perfectly. Same theory that we did when we talked about the Knoxville booking in 2005 against Spike Dudley. Uh, he, he could lead the match. He could make sure that Bobby didn't go someplace. He shouldn't be at this skill level. So it worked out well and, and he got over and Alvarez points out the same thing. You know, you and I are talking about those short matches. You know, the kiss of death is to make Bobby go too long and uh, like a 20 minute match would have been unheard of. Of course, how many 20 minute matches are on TV nowadays anyway. So are then, so I, I, uh, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, Lashley's debut was a success and he gave everybody hope that he could be the next big thing because that beloved look, you know, he looked, you know, his ethnicity didn't hurt him because there's no, there's not overabundance of. African-American players, stars, administrators, or whatever in pro wrestling today anyway. And then too, even more so than perhaps I'd say, I'd say much more so than, or lack of then. So, uh, he, he, there was, he gave everybody hope. They thought maybe he will be a Lesnar. 
And, uh, you know, I was on that, I was in that same train of thought. I thought Bobby had, and still do unlimited potential, uh, that he's, he still has yet to reach. Let's talk about, uh, something that made the newsletters in October. Vince McMahon once again, pr- proved what sort of stuff he was made of when on raw this past Monday night, Jim Ross was publicly humiliated in what may his, what might be his final ever WWE appearance after over a decade of loyal service. Most of you know the basic story by now. Jim Ross is supposedly too old or not pretty enough for the raw elite announced duties. Vince has been trying to phase him out without success for years. He wanted to get Mike Goldberg of UFC, but Goldberg, after being smartened up wisely, turned down the job. Vince, not to be deterred, went through with the plan anyway and fired Ross on air. What'd you know at the time? Did you know Goldberg was being negotiated with when you were, I mean, chat me up about what you knew or didn't know. Well, I found out as the process went along, but in the beginning, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that I was uh, that ugly or that old, uh, too old to be, to do my job. And by the way, Conrad, I still don't, I'm not buying into that bullshit. Uh, you know, they can't say, you know, that nobody ever told me, JR, you're getting too old because you know, they, they're, they're, they're making themselves very vulnerable Conrad to a age discrimination lawsuit. Not that I was planning that I wasn't, but you can't tell the truth sometimes because the political correctness of the world that we live in. Uh, but I, I you know, it was just another bump in the goddamn road, man. I could easily quit and say, I'm not going to be in this wrestling business anymore. Bullshit. I'm tired of it. I, I spent, I've been in it since 74. I'm done. I saved my money. I don't need yours, but I didn't do that. And, uh, but I, it was just a man thing, you know? So again, new people getting involved in administration, new people getting closer to events, looking to make a big move and getting rid of Jr. at, uh, as the voice of raw after all the success that we had. And the years of productivity that we had and my loyalty, uh, meant shit. It really meant shit because somebody else got Vince's ear and convinced him we've got to move forward and be more, we got to have, we have got, have, we've got to get guys that look like uh, they could walk off our set on the sports center and, and, and uh, on ESPN and do that show. And it just doesn't work that way. Uh, you still got to have the product knowledge. I know that Mark Ratner was a longtime executive director of the Nevada state athletic commission. And now he. Uh, a VP for Dana White's USC is the one that, uh, Mike Goldberg con- confided in that he got this job offer and it was Mark that said, you know, you're going to be hated. People love Jr. And it's awkward for me to say that here, but they, 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 I had a great fan base. They were loyal. I worked hard for the audience. I was honest. I was there. And, uh, so he, he turned them down, which ironically, uh, got my phone ringing again because they thought they'd have Goldberg for a big show in Dallas. Uh, and, uh, he turned them down. So I get a phone call and, Hey, what are you doing? Such and such. Kevin Dunn called me. What are you doing on Monday or whatever? And I said, well, Kevin, you know, I, I've been let go here. I've got, I'm under contract. I'm not being used. So I, I saw, I guess I'll be home. Or do you want to drop by? <laughs> you know, right. Been a, been a wise ass. But so I went to Dallas and did that deal. Much to Vince's, uh, begrudgingly, he, he didn't greet me with open arms or, you know, he, he's probably thinking in his head. I, I thought I got rid of this fat bastard. Uh, but, uh, here I was again, popping up and, uh, but it was just part of the damn journey, man. I write about it under the black hat expl- explicitly how I felt, how Jan felt, how we were treated, uh, and a whole nine yards. It just was disrespectful, poor communication and too many sycophants surrounding the boss to, uh, change his mind about, uh, the team. 
JR and the King were the solid components always there on Monday Night Raw, Conrad. There was, there was stability there. That'd be like somebody else doing Alabama football other than Eli Gold. Right. It ain't going to sound right. So uh, that's, that's how that worked. It wasn't a fun year, <laughs> to say the least. And ironically, only two years later, I got put in the Hall of Fame. So I'm on this emotional roller coaster. You're up, you're down, you're in, you're out, you're bad, you're good, oh, you're great. You know, I wish I could clone your ass, blah, blah, blah. Well, it changed it by the day. And so I, I, at some point, you kind of get immune to it. And you kind of get, well, here comes another salvo, stand your ground, stay on your feet, keep your respect that you have for yourself and move on. That's all you can do. Just move on. I couldn't change his mind. So it wasn't a good year. I could talk about 2005 a lot if I needed to, but I suggest you read my book at jrsbarbecue.com. Cheap plug. I like it. Well, let's talk about uh, no mercy. 2005 Bobby Lashley debuts on pay-per-view. He defeats Simon Dean again. Um, he wasn't ready but he's obviously put in a position to not look unready. I mean, they're, they're doing what they can to get him over and, and do it quickly. Did you, at this point, see a future main eventer or, or did you think, I mean, sometimes when you see a guy, he just jumps off the page and you're like, Hey man, that guy's going to be headlining WrestleMania and other times, well, he could make a career in wrestling. Did no, you he was another level. Yeah. He was another level Conrad. He, it wasn't just that we got this, this great looking athlete that can make a, uh, uh, you know, that can make a career in the business. Uh, I thought he had the potential, uh, to be a main eventer at WrestleMania without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and within two years he was. Yes, he was, but he's got to, uh, have some of those trials and tribulations. Like we we're talking about here on the show himself, including Dave Batista. He did an interview around this same time and he slammed OVW and specifically brought up Bobby Lashley. He says there are still people being brought up without the right preparation. Look at Bobby Lashley. I don't think he's even close to ready. Bobby Lashley, if held back a while, could have been another Brock Lesnar. He's got the amateur accolades and he's an incredible athlete. And Batista's gotten a reputation over the years for not giving a shit and just, uh, you know, being straight and, and, and telling it straight up and he's probably got a point here, right? I mean, in hindsight, you probably did want to keep Bobby Lashley in your back pocket a little longer. Was Vince feeling the need for something new, looking for the next big thing? Not really sure which direction to head. No five and maybe sees money in Bobby. So let's just mash the gas. Yeah. That's a simple as that. Vince had a new toy and he loved to look at, and he loved it. You know, the love his background. The army stuff, the national championships meant less than the army. I think to Vince, uh, quite frankly, uh, serving his country was a much higher, uh, accolade. And I, and I, I agree with that quite frankly. Uh, so I think that to say that Bobby was ready, could Bobby have used a little bit more time down the farm or working, uh, the second or third match on house shows with a, with a talented, with a talent that had the skill set of a, of a Bucci or a, uh, Simon Dean or, or, or Spike Dudley. Yes. He should have had more time, but, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I had the same battles with Vince about, uh, Brock Lesnar, you know, creative want to bring Brock Lesnar up earlier than I wanted, than he was ready to go. And I simply told Vince that Vince, he, he can't protect anybody right now. He's still learning where to put his feet. He's still learning things. And he's so goddamn big and strong that a small little calculated error, uh, is, is, does that could be disastrous. So same thing, you know, I didn't, I wasn't in a position in that, in that regard. I didn't have, the, I didn't have the opportunity nor the cloud at that time 
uh, as I did when I ran the department to go to Vince and Vince, he's not ready. We're going to, we're going to taint his growth by bringing him in when he knows he's not ready and he's surrounded by his peers who are ready. There's going to be a, a psychological issue there that we're going to have to get past because Bobby was not the most trusting guy because he just didn't know. Right. He didn't have product knowledge, Conrad. He didn't know. So he, he'd been told by some of the boys he listened to, you can't trust the office. They'll fuck you. Yeah. That's just terrible advice. Let's, uh, let's also talk about something that is an office decision around this time. And I don't know why this happens. They dropped Bobby Lashley's first name. Uh, he, he's now just Lashley. Why is that? Is this a, a Vince McMahonism? I mean, we've, we've seen this before with, you know, like Cesaro, he's Antonio Cesaro. No, nope, Now he's just Cesaro. And we see this a lot with different talent over the years. And Bobby Lashley is one of the first ones I remember where, Hey, no more first name. Now it's just last name. Why does Vince feel so strongly about, I mean, does, is Bobby just too normal? I'll answer your question. It's a, it's a showbiz thing. As simple as that. Mm. Vince wants to be Walt Disney Conrad. He wants to be an entertainment Spielberg, uh, entertainment, uh, mogul making movies, making weekly TV shows, producing pay-per-views, all the things that WWE has done as a publicly traded company. And so it's, it look, it's like he, he uses the illustration like share, you know, all these one name, uh, stars, Bono share. There's a zillion of them, one name. And I guess the, the, the theory is, is that it's easier to remember one name for a person than two names for a person. I don't agree with it. Uh, and you see now it's gone full circle. He's back to being Bobby Lashley. Uh, but at that time, and still to this day, look at how many people on the, uh, WWE roster have one name. Right. And plus the referees don't get mentioned type the deal. So, because they're not stars. So then why are they on the damn show? If they're not a star, if they're not a real good referee, a star referee, then why, why not? So yeah, that was the showbiz deal. You know, it's, it's the share syndrome, quite frankly. And that's kind of what I used to tease about it. This isn't a share syndrome again. Well, Lashley's still wrestling in OVW in this era and he's on SmackDown at the same time. Um, I guess the, the idea here is let's get him as many reps as we can, but is there a concern, you know, when, when a guy's working both in developmental and on TV that, Hey, we might, uh, we might hurt a guy and nobody really even see it. I mean, aren't you sort of risking one of your major television investments by having him work in both spots? I mean, because of fatigue or use. Yeah. No, I, I'm not no a, hell no. Come on. Come on, Conrad. The, the, the territory days, they work seven days a week and, and they got better. They worked in front of the same audience every Tuesday night, every Wednesday night. So they work, the more you work, the better you're going to get. So no, I don't have, I didn't have any issue with that at all. It wasn't like he was work, you know, he was doing, uh, triathlons. Well, I, I meant more in terms of injury because in OVW, you've got a lot of relative newcomers as well. Maybe he's going to be working with more experienced guys and more experienced agents who, uh, he can be maybe a little safer on the main roster than an OVW. You disagree? Yeah. Disagree. Disagree. The coaches in OVW were excellent. Al Snow, the Rick, Rick Rogers did a phenomenal job. Tom Pritchard did a phenomenal job when he trained these guys. I, I'm, I'll put up, I'll put up the trainers in OVW against the full-time agents in WWE anytime, anytime. Nope. No, no, with no questions asked. 
to be clear, I, I'm, I'm referring to the young guys trying to figure it out that Lashley might be working with, not necessarily an Al Snow, just if he's working with another developmental talent, you know, yeah, you've there, got two guys. No, there's, al- there's always that chance. Sure. sure. There's always that chance. You know, it ain't ballet right. and people get hurt for real. Uh, but you can't, you, you can't manage that way. You just got to go full steam ahead and try to see, get this guy as much work with as many quality opponents as you can. The one thing about it, he had quality, he had most of the guys he worked with in OVW after a while were their top guys and our top guys. And the same thing when he came up to SmackDown, he, he was going to work with more skilled individuals. So the more work quality work, the more that Bobby could maximize his minutes, the better off. I thought we were. Let's keep moving and let's talk about the next big break that Bobby's going to get on the main roster. He defeats Orlando Jordan and becomes a member of team SmackDown for survivor series. He's going to join Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio and Batista. What an outfit. Sadly, this is the last SmackDown before Eddie passes away, but this is the first sign of a mega push for Lashley. I mean, Guerrero, Mysterio, Batista, all world champs. Hell of a learning position to work with these guys too, is it not? Yeah, you get better. You get because again, your your athletic uh, juices really start flowing when you see that there's somebody on your team or somebody you're in the ring with, more specifically, that is really good. Uh, and you know, when you're on the same team with Randy Orton, for example, uh, who you know was still is phenomenal, maybe the best worker in the world right now, and and certainly the best worker in WWE is Randy Orton. AJ styles there as well. You know, all of, they got some great talent there, but, uh, I, I think that, uh, it, it makes you work harder. I think it, if, when you have that athletic, that competitive spirit, or you used to having your ranking matches in the amateurs where you have, a, you're in a tournament and then all, all of a sudden you run through the, all the competition and you're the national champion. You don't do it once you do it three times in a row. Uh, he's a competitive athlete. So getting in that world. Sometimes we mix fact, we mix uh, fact and fiction, right? It's a, it is an entertainment entity, no doubt, no doubt, but the athletic component is sometimes more overlooked than it deserves to be. I've never been able to understand that. Uh, so uh, I, I, I applaud the booking of that because it made Bobby step up and try to get back to that level or get to that, not back to, but get to that level and stay there. That's a key thing. Not have one great match at Survivor Series where you didn't screw up, but where you you're you're getting better each and every outing. And and there was a time there I thought Bobby was doing exactly that. Let's talk a little bit about um, the the actual Survivor Series 05 show where we've got Raw versus SmackDown. It's Batista, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, JBL, and Bob Lashley taking on uh, Shawn Michaels, Kane, Carlito, Big Show, and Chris Masters. Masters and Lashley would work against each other. Masters tries to put him in the master lock, but Lashley's too big to hook it in. Masters then tags in Carlito. Lashley throws him around a little bit. He goes for the dominator on Sean, but Kane grabs him by the throat, gives him the choke slam, and Sean gets the pin. It's uh maybe WWE backing themselves into a corner. I mean, you've had a guy like Lashley just absolutely dominate on TV, uh, but we've got to do something here and with all the other talent on the other side, Lashley's got to take a pin. So maybe a little bit of the shine comes off, but maybe not when it happens with Kane and Shawn Michaels. What say you? Losing to Kane and Shawn Michaels in a, in a combo situation doesn't hurt anybody. Right. It doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, that's like I read online the, some ludicrous remarks about uh, 
I can't remember who lost uh, an AEW match here a while back this summer. Uh, might've been, uh, it might've been, uh, uh, Some Brody Lee or might've been a uh, big, big archer, but they saw, oh, they killed him. They, they, he got beat in the middle. Yeah. They've learned a term from Meltzer, right? He got beat in the middle. It's killed him. How do you look, look, Einstein, Mr. Wrestling Einstein. How do you figure that? How do you figure that? If this son of a bitch is not talented enough to be able to lose and come out of there with something good, there are good. You can lose and have good things, uh, uh, come from it. Uh, so the performance, the execution, all that stuff. So I, I, uh, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, the losing in that match did nothing for Bobby other than put him in the same lane, put him at the, at the grown up table, which is what he needed. For perception, the perception was WWE felt like that Bobby Lashley is going to be a star with his look and his athleticism and his athletic background, et cetera, et cetera. And, but everybody can lose. And again, losing to a tandem move, a cane and, and then taking, let Shawn Michaels have the pin. I can't see as that being a negative. Well, he's off to the races again. He's going to wind up Oh five squashing guys like William Regal, Paul Burchill, et cetera. Um, and then in early January, he becomes the first SmackDown wrestler to qualify for that year's Royal rumble in 2006. He's going to come in at number eight, only eliminate, uh, Sylvain and, uh, then get dumped out by big show and Kane. And then he finally transitions to a feud with JBL where he's going to lose his first singles match on TV because of Finley, um, marrying Lashley with JBL and then Finley is to try to help him get sped up to working on TV quicker and faster instead of just doing squash matches or what's the thinking. I mean, he does take a few losses to Finley by, uh, on TV, but the outside interference and, you know, using a, a foreign object as they say, but he's working with big time, very experienced veterans. That's the only way to introduce a guy like this to the big stage. Is it not? Yeah. You got to work with people better than you. Simple as that. And, and, uh, fit Finley is one of the most skilled in ring performers I've ever seen. Uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, when I, we hired him, I remember meeting with him in the Ritz Carlton hotel in Atlanta and Buckhead. When I went down there, I hired, that's where I hired Laurinaitis, I hired Arn, uh, Malenka, a lot of those guys, uh, when we had the invasion thing, uh, and, uh, you know, I was impressed by, you know, he, I didn't realize Dave was the third generation wrestler, uh, I watched his matches. One of the matches that stand out to me on WCW was a match that Regal and uh, Finley had. They probably only wrestled each other, beat the shit out of each other a thousand times in their lifetime, but it was classic. It was outside. It was a no hose bar kind of a deal. I'm sure a lot of fans can remember that. Uh, but as Lashley had been booked around the loop for, uh, you know, off and on say a year and work on the guys like, uh, uh, William Regal and, and Dave Finley. He would have been, he would have gotten so much better. And I don't give a shit if he lost every fucking night. It didn't matter. People got to get over that shit, man. Oh, he lost. Oh, it's going to kill his push. Oh, he took it. took something off of him. Okay. All right. All right. How many territories you booked? Right. So, uh, and, and same with JBL, JBL was experienced veteran who had significant heat. He was a very good heel, very good heel, but you notice how he, Bobby's being protected here. He gets, he gets eliminated from the Royal rumble by the two biggest men in the match. Yep. Big show and Kane. 
uh, he, he, he gets in the situation with Finley, which is like going to try to get your PhD in wrestling. And he gets beat with a shillelagh, a gimmick protecting. So, uh, no, no issues there, man. I, I, I if Bobby, again, could work with guys like Finley and, and Regal more, uh, he would have been a lot better along. It'd have been better faster than he was, uh, if he had done that. No argument for me. Let's, uh, let's also talk about the, uh, the thing that maybe is missing, you know, there's a lot to say about his size and speed, but he doesn't seem super confident in his promos. Is this the era where for whatever reason, Vince has hesitation to put mouthpieces with guys. It feels like a guy like Bobby, if he would have came up, you know, 10 or 20 years before he definitely would have had a manager sort of cutting promos for him. Why don't you think they were quick to do that for Bobby here? He wasn't a heel and Vince had an issue of putting, uh, baby faces with, uh, baby face ma- managers with baby faces. You know, people say, what, what about Bob Backlund? What about Arnold Scola? Okay. Take it easy. Uh, that was a favorite of Arnie. And, uh, but when you talk about promos, uh, Bob Backlund's baby face promos were not as were, weren't better than Bobby Lashley's baby face promos. He just got over because he won a lot and people got, he got the momentum going. And when Bobby lost, it was significant. It was something big. Once he got to that title, that main event level, uh, going up the ladder, you know, Backlund would do favors for whomever was is called upon. So, uh, I'm, I think that, uh, uh, you know, he, he just had, he had confidence issues. We talked about this before with other talents, Conrad, about promos. If Shelton Benjamin, if we had spent more time with Shelton Benjamin, I said this before, I'll make it short with on his promos, we would have had a major, major star on our hands because there was nothing, absolutely nothing in the ring that Shelton Benjamin couldn't do. And I dare to say that holds true today. He is a freak of nature athletically and a good human being. That's the kind of guys you want to invest in, but we should have cut him from the herd and put him with somebody where he could have the same practice, uh, on mics on the mic and talking than he, than he did and doing drills in a ring. That's our fumble. We messed that up. Uh, but Bobby probably could have used the same theory, people helping him. And you know, it's worked out well for him. Cause I think he does a, a very believable, real promo now. And I, I, I don't, and I'm, I'm glad that MVP has got work, uh, another guy I like, uh, but you know, at some point sooner than later. Uh, MVP and Bobby will be, uh, a, uh, an issue, a memory and Bobby will have matches. The MVP one has to assume, because I think Bobby's at the level now that he doesn't really need, uh, a mouthpiece to the degree that he needed it then. Right. And again, I like the package of MVP and, and, and Bobby together uh, a lot, but you know, it, it's just a matter of Bobby continuing to get better and get the confidence that he can cut good promos. And, uh, I think that day's almost here. WrestleMania 22, we see Bobby make his WrestleMania debut. It's won by Rob Van Dam, though. And after that, not too terribly long, we're going to start to see the build for the King of the Ring tournament, which uh, Lashley would make it to the finals. And uh, on his way, of course, he'd pick up wins over Mark Henry and Finley. But he loses to Booker T, which turns Booker T into King Booker. And then Lashley winds up feuding with King Booker. And of course his court, which is Charmel Finley and William Regal. And he finally wins his first championship over JBL for the United States title 
on the May 26th edition, and he would lose it to Finley on July 14th. It feels like there's lots of stops and starts at this point in his career. Do you think there was a worry on Vince's side, whether or not he could go all the way with him because he was green? Maybe he wasn't connecting with the fans. What's the hesitation? Oh man, it's hard to say, you know, it depends on what input Vince is getting, uh, from, uh, the last person he talked to, you know, I'm sure that, uh, Bruce has uh, experienced these issues where you think you got a, a game plan. It seems like things are, this is what we're going to do. Then all of a sudden somebody gets Vince's ear that has an agenda and all of a sudden, uh, they, they, they cast doubt on uh, the process or the decision make making, uh, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a trade of that company. Uh, you know, and, uh, I don't know. I, 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 Bobby was just, Bobby did have some false starts and continuity issues, but that comes it shouldn't you say, well, the same guys in charge of talent are in charge of creative. Yeah. Vince. But the bottom line of that is, is that sometimes Vince, he has, he'll tell you, I had the right to change my mind and he does. So he, he was on again, off again. I think there was a lack of patience and how good Bobby was progressing, how much he was progressing. I thought it was at a, at a nice pace. He started feeling more comfortable in the ring. And again, you're not getting a guy that has an extensive pro wrestling background. Right. He didn't know the, he, he couldn't tell you who this guy, who was Bruno, you know, who was the Bobo Brazil, who was, uh, you know, who was the junkyard dog, who was uh, Dick Murdoch. Who, he wouldn't know those things. Right. That's not it. That wasn't his deal. So a green guy, uh, is in graduate school and he got advanced very quickly to get to the graduate school level. And it's challenging for anybody, including a great athlete like Lashley. Unfortunately, there is some bad news. We've got to cover here around the great American bash. Oh, six. Uh, this is from the figure four weekly. Brian Alvarez wrote, uh, easy for me to say. Brian Alvarez wrote word broke that SmackDown's Bobby Lashley was being taken off the show after tests discovered elevated liver enzymes In the bodybuilding world. It's common knowledge that liver issues are often a side effect of oral steroid use. Uh, this is also the show where great Kali had a liver, uh, issue, uh, was believed to be disease. And it comes out that. Uh, Kali, Kid Cash, Super Crazy, Joey Mercury, and Matt Hardy all had wellness issues. Is this the wellness policy working in full effect here? This is quite the haul. Yeah, obviously. People weren't listening. They thought they could skirt the, skirt the system. And they felt compelled that they had to look better, bigger, and prettier uh, to get to the promised land. Bad, uh, it's a very bad precedent to set. It's counterproductive. If you're going to book and promote on bodies, then you're not going to get those bodies that are desired, uh, eating, you know, six times a day and, and, uh, you know, eating uh, numerous amounts of chicken breast ain't going to happen. So it's a, it's a, it's a, almost a hypocritical scenario in, in a sense, but I'm a big believer in the wellness policy. I'm a big believer that no fan gives two shits. If your arms are 20 inches or 18 inches or 16 inches, if you are performing to the level that entertains them and compels them to watch again and emotionally invest. So it was guys just trying to get ahead of the curve guys, trying to get that gain that advantage. Simple as that. When Lashley returns, he moves into the world title picture against uh, King Booker, Batista and Finley for the no mercy pay-per-view in October. And this is uh Lashley's first world title match since he's been promoted to the main roster. 
you know, there's a big debate, you know, was he ready for this spot? You know, we know King Booker is prime time. We know Batista is a top guy. Finley is a, is an old school veteran from way back. Is it safer for him to be in a four-way match like this? Uh, sometimes we hear old timers say, oh man, those are a clusterfuck and they're harder to do, but is it also easier to camouflage a guy's shortcomings with that many veterans around him? Yeah, the camouflage point's a good one. Uh, you can't hide him a little bit in the, in the group, in the cluster of uh, three other guys. Uh, was he ready? You know, Connor, that question is, will never be, there'll never be a right answer, uh, quite frankly, because it's a subjective question. Uh, was he ready? Well, uh, I, I, you can make a case either way. Uh, again, I'd have kept him on the, on the farm a little longer. That's me in hindsight. Uh, but that didn't, that didn't happen. So yes, yeah, easier to camouflage from there a little bit, but the, it's the rub situation or, you know, the old guilt by association thing, only the opposite It's a positive. And the fact that Lashley had spots in that match where he was holding his own with, with great stars, uh, like the hall of fame guys, Booker and, and Batista and Finley should be in the hall of fame because he got furloughed. He may not ever go in, but he should be in the hall of fame there too, quite frankly, in my opinion. But I don't, I don't have, I certainly don't have a vote anymore. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think it hurt him. I don't think it hurt him at all. Uh, again, the rub and the positive guilt, so that's not a good term, but the positive association you get from being on that level of match with that level of talent cannot hurt an individual. Let's mention that, uh, in November, Bobby Lashley winds up being moved to ECW. He debuts on the brand by signing a contract to become the final member of the elimination chamber match at the now disastrous ECW December to dismember pay-per-view man. This is uh, widely regarded as the worst pay-per-view of all time. And probably one of the worst promoted shows of all time. He would come in fifth in this match and eliminate uh, test and big show and win the ECW title. So it's a big moment for him, but it is the worst pay-per-view ever. Um, yeah, less than ideal to have a big moment like this on such a turd pay-per-view, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, co- it we, we had the one night stand before that, right? Yes. And that was a major hit. Yes. It's trying to put the, the genie back in the ball and do it again. It was the, the, the bloom was off the rose a little bit in that, uh, ECW journey. Uh, but it wasn't a successful pay-per-view. It was, uh, it had some funky booking. Uh, and again, I don't have any cooks from that kitchen, but more than needed to be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. The fans are actually revolting because of this too. They really wanted CM Punk or RVD. They're not, they're not buying Lashley at this point. Um, do you think in hindsight, that was a misstep? I mean, this pay-per-view has, has been beat up as being one of the worst ever. And there's a lot of blame to go around. Of course, we know there's going to be a major falling out with Paul Heyman. He's no longer going to be a part of the company the next day, but he wanted CM Punk to be the guy. And maybe he pushed so hard that Vince just didn't want that. But the fans really wanted RVD to be sort of the torchbearer for ECW. And instead we go with a guy who looks like what Vince wants wrestlers to look like Bobby Lashley, and they just weren't buying it. Is this a misstep? Do you think in, uh, in Bobby Lashley's career, you couldn't have uh, made a better choice than RVD to be the face of ECW rebranded, uh, or CM Punk. Both would have been amazing. Both would have been outstanding. 
so you couldn't go wrong with either guy. Uh, it put Bobby in a tough position, much like, uh, uh, Roman Reigns, how Roman Reigns is booked, where there's all of a sudden there's a major backlash when the guy hasn't done anything negative to be, uh, booed or jeered about, right. Uh, is that force feed? You know, you can see it. It's not organic. You know, you're, you're trying to make the people like something that they don't like. And it's just a sign of the 18 to 34 year old demographic being defiant. So it didn't do Bobby a lot of favors in that for that ECW audience, but again, him winning a title, I think was another step in trying to build his confidence that he belonged. And, uh, so was it a, the best decision for Bobby? Maybe not in, uh, in, 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 in some respects. Uh, and as I said, RVD and punk would have been, you couldn't go wrong with those guys. You want to really rejuvenate the brand. And I'm not so sure that Vince really wanted to rejuvenate the brand because how many more ECW pay-per-views did we have after that Conrad? Uh, that's, uh, that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. So I think that tells the story answers your questions. Quite frankly, about that matter, uh, he'd lost the edge. The one night stand was a blow away success. Absolutely amazing. Great atmosphere, great show, dramatic booking. It was just wonderful. And, uh, it was fun to watch. I watched it on pay-per-view. I, I didn't go to the, I didn't go to the building. I didn't, you know, what, why hang out catering, shoot the shit with Tony Gurria. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you know, let's talk about the, the pay-per-view here because you know, the, the issue, I think that really ultimately was the straw that broke the camel's back between Vince and Paul in this era, uh, was the divide on, Hey, who, who's leaving as champ. Uh, figure four weekly would write regarding Lashley and some claims in the past days that one of the big blowups between Vince and Paul was Vince wanting Lashley as champ and Paul wanting CM Punk. The reality is Paul had been trying to get Lashley in ECW for several months, going as far as to explain that Michael Hayes didn't like him and would never push him on SmackDown, but Heyman loved him and would make him champ in ECW. And then of course, when he has the opportunity to do so, he wants punk, but now Vince is sold on Lashley. Did you ever hear that Michael Hayes, for whatever reason, didn't see money in Lashley in this era? No, I never did. Uh, never did Conrad. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Could be, could not be. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I never heard that as an issue and maybe I've just forgotten. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, Nothing strikes me on that, on that particular topic. Well, let's mention it doesn't hurt Lashley for long. I mean, we're going to be doing really big stuff soon enough. March of 07, Bobby Lashley becomes the first person to break Chris masters, master lock challenge. And, uh, I gotta say, even though, you know, Chris masters is almost a footnote in history. Now, um, that run he had. They were pushing him to the fucking moon, were they not? I mean, it's a big deal when you're getting over a single move like that, especially an old school move, like a full Nelson. And when you're the first guy to break it, that's a pretty big deal because it's well-established on TV in a big way. Yeah. Masters had a great look. Good looking kid, great body, you know, uh, had some skill. And so he, he checked all the bo- Vince's boxes. He looked great in an eight by 10 and, but to, uh, then they finally came to the end of the road with him. <clears throat> He wasn't going to get over the hump by whatever reason or whatever logic being utilized to make that decision. He, it was, it was deemed that Chris masters, it all, albeit a good guy and a, a, a lover of the business and a lifelong fan. He just wasn't going to get over the hump for whatever reason it was. 
And so, uh, lastly, being able to break that streak, break the, the full Nelson, the master lock, uh, was a significant business, uh, for, uh, for Bobby Lashley. Well, one of those reasons is triple H burying him on fucking TV, but we'll talk about that another time. And early 07 Lashley selected by Donald Trump to present him in a, or to represent him rather in a battle of the billionaires match against Vince McMahon's rep Umaga. It's also going to have Vince's longtime antagonist stone cold, Steve Austin as the guest referee. This is a huge moment for WWE. Uh, it feels weird to even talk about now with everything happening the way it has with Donald Trump, not only being a TV star, but now the president and maybe not the world's most popular president we ever had, but my goodness, battle of the billionaires. This helps draw the house. One of the biggest numbers for WrestleMania in history. I think the biggest one ever at that point, stone cold, Steve Austin, right in the middle battle of the billionaires. Why was it Lashley and Umaga? Why did this make sense? Both guys, uh, Vince wanted to push both guys. Vince had confidence in that they were going to go to the next level and be superstars. Uh, quite frankly, <clears throat> it, it put, uh, Lashley and, uh, and on all the, all the market marketing materials, uh, the promos, the whole night. It was a great campaign, uh, for both Umaga and for, uh, Bobby, uh, no doubt. It was just Vince had the vision that both those guys were quote unquote keepers. And by putting them in that spot. And getting the rub off of, uh, Austin, uh, was uh, tremendous. The sad part about that was when you look back at it, even though Lashley won the match, he didn't get to shave Vince's head. Austin got to do that. And quite frankly, you know how much I think of Steve, but if you're really going to, you know, Steve could have handed the Clippers if it had been booked that way. He wasn't because yeah. he was happy to do it. Hand the Clippers to Bobby Lashley. And then Lashley shaving Vince's head would give Lashley the, the, uh, momentum and, a, and, a, and, a, and a cause and the, and McMahon then would go about his business of doing all he could to quote unquote, destroy Bobby Lashley for humiliating events on television. Uh, he didn't get the full compliment of the, of the angle of the stipulation, but he got on all the promotion. He got in all the publicity and he was in the ring while the future president of the United States and the most powerful man in sports entertainment were at ringside looking on. It really is remarkable when you think about it. I mean. Even though Cena and Sean go on last, make no mistake. The real main event is Vince McMahon versus Donald Trump. I mean, it was, it was the talk of the mainstream media and the goal here, as you said, is to try to let stone cold, Steve Austin pass the torch, if you will, to Bobby Lashley and Bobby Lashley sort of be the new stone cold with the shaving of the head. But instead stone cold winds up being the guy holding the clippers, but man, pretty unbelievable to think that this was a real thing considering what's gone on to happen since, but this WrestleMania $46 million was the projected gross on this, which is just unbelievable. Well, what happened was what made it such a success Conrad was that <clears throat> it was the year the law and I went to the hall of fame. That really, that really, <laughs> <laughs> that really sold tickets, uh, or whatever. Uh, seriously, uh, it was so well promoted, you know, the atmosphere in that night was you know, we hope we were able to get back to that type of atmosphere again in all of our wrestling endeavors, uh, where you have a live audience there that's rabid and fun and un uninhibited and, and having, you know, just being loud and all that stuff. The, 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 we had a bigger crowd in that building than the Super Bowl did in it earlier the year, because obviously we had the advantage of using the field 
and the ring was a 20 foot square. So there you go. Uh, but it was a, a wonderful experience for me and very memorable because of the hall of fame, this, uh, induction the night before, uh, there in Detroit. So really cool weekend for me and Jan and our, my friends and family and so forth. But, uh, I thought it was a good weekend for Bobby Lashley, but look, looking back at it, you could have tied a, re- a big red, red bow around the presentation. If Lashley had been the one that was handed to Clippers said, have at it. He's your, he's all yours type deal. And I think that would have given Lashley a, a, a storyline. It'd give Vince a reason to go after him. And so Lashley becomes the underdog because he's, he's outmanned and, uh, which really comes to fruition, uh, in how Lashley, uh, lost, uh, the ECW title. Well, it's worth mentioning. Lashley did get to, uh, to dabble in the clippings stone Cold's holding him down while both, uh, Donald Trump and, uh, and Lashley are taking a stab at it, but I agree. It would have been a bigger visual had it just been Lashley, but I understand, you know, you've got the biggest TV star in the world or so he would tell us, but uh, as fun as it is to look back and, and sort of poke fun. Now the apprentice was one of the hottest, if not the hottest show on, on network television. And so because it's a, a ratings bonanza with him and he has a good relationship with the company, it feels like an opportunity and man, it pays off 46 million bucks on a single show here. We should mention that after this, Lashley is going to continue the feud with Umaga, but he's also going to involve the McMahons, both Vince and Shane and Vince McMahon defeats Bobby Lashley to win the ECW title. That's a real thing. Um, we know that over the years, Vince has put himself in prime spots against stone cold, Steve Austin that worked like gangbusters. Now we're trying to do that with the ECW brand and we get do rag Vince picking up a win over Bobby Lashley, Vince McMahon being the ECW champion. Is this the greatest fuck you rib in the history of wrestling to Paul Heyman or what? I don't know if it's the greatest rib in the history of wrestling Conrad, but I think Vince made a, with his eraser and his pencil made it abundantly clear to Paul Heyman or anybody else that he's still the boss and his vision is the one that counts. And he'll always say, you know, my track record's not bad. And he's right about that. His track record has, has been wonderful at, at many, uh, intervals along this journey. So, yeah, I, I would think that, uh, I, I think, I don't know that it was a priority. Hey, let's screw Heyman and I'll beat Bobby. I don't right. think that happened. Right. I just think that along the way, the perception of that was, uh, certainly real and uh, that, uh, you know, Heyman got set down. He did, he got moved from the grown up table to the, to the kids table. Theoretically in that regard, kind of like he's done now. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk about what's next for him. Um, we are going to <laughs> lastly does tear his rotator cuff, but works through it. Uh, and then he winds up defeating Vince on June 3rd at one night stand to regain the ECW world title. And just a week later, Lashley's drafted to raw and then stripped of the ECW title. And this is also the draft where you're moved from raw to SmackDown. Hmm. Uh, and right after this, he's put into a five way with Mick Foley, Randy Orton, King Booker, and John Cena for the WWE title, man. How all over the place is WWE creative at this point, everywhere. Again, the last guy in the kitchen seasons, the dish, and it wasn't good. It wasn't the system back in the day when it was very successful with Patterson and Bruce doing, doing a lot of that stuff with Vince's, uh, blessing and interaction and leadership. Uh, the, the creative people coming and going, everybody wanted to press the old man. 
Everybody wanted to not make ways, do not confront all those, that shit we've talked about here a million times. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a dicey, you know, you never knew exactly what was going on. And when you, every week when you got to TV, the continuity was all, always affected. So sometimes stories were abruptly dropped and there's no explanation, things like that to just help uh, that adversely affected the continuity of the show. And, uh, I, I do remember 2005 for a lot of reasons or 2007, this was what, what year was it? I got drafted 2005, seven, seven. Okay. Whatever. It don't matter. It's a work. Uh, I just didn't like being lied to. That's all as simple as that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, it was a 2007 was a, was a bittersweet year. Conrad going into the hall of fame. My hall of fame induction was a way to get me to say goodbye. Those that understand my story and have read under the black hat know that the hall of fame in 2007, where Lawler and I went in together headlined by the American dream, dusty Rhodes. uh, you know, a great class, Nick Bockwinkle, the Samoans, uh, I'm forgetting people, but nonetheless, uh, a, a lot of, it was a good class, Mr. Perfect, uh, all those guys, it, it just was fun as hell. But then you get the, you get the air taken out of you after that. And, uh, you know, Todd Grisham was promised my job and that fall, uh, you know, younger sports, he did sports center. He was exactly what they were looking for. And Todd's a good announcer. He's doing a lot of MMA now. Uh, I follow him on Facebook. He's. He posts a lot of pictures of his daughters and he's a good family man. Good dad. So, uh, but that was the plan because Grisham and I taught, he confided in me in that story and uh, it was uh, uncomfortable for him because, you know, we were working together on SmackDown. So nonetheless, uh, uh, that was the plan. Get rid of JR again. And, uh, at, at the end of the year, but when, you know, the, I've said this story before quickly, the quick version of it is the reaction I got in Chicago when I was announced, I was going to the hall of fame blew, uh, McMahon and Kevin Dunn away and they, they put the brakes on me, you know, being derailed, but I knew it was inevitable. I knew it was coming. It's just a matter of when it wasn't a matter if, well, maybe they're going to give me a reprieve. No, there ain't no reprieves, man. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen when Vince wants it to happen. Let's keep it moving. Last is going to work. John Cena, great American bash one-on-one, uh, Cena wins or retains the title rather. And then lastly would suffer an injury during this match. And he's written out by Mr. Kennedy injuring him on July 30th. And it's the last time we would see him on TV until April 9th, 2018. So we're talking a 10, more than 10 year absence here. Uh, in early October, his girlfriend, crystal Marshall would also be released from her WWE contract. And, uh, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but crystal said in an interview, I wanted to get more information on the Teddy long storyline. I couldn't, for whatever reason, I didn't know anything about the edge storyline. They were keeping a lot under wraps for me. I inquired about what was going on. And I think sometimes what I've learned through life is when you're a woman and you're outspoken and you're an advocate for yourself, you get labeled as difficult. You get labeled as hard to work with. And people don't like that. Do you remember what happened with crystal winding up getting released here? Not specifically, but, uh, the issue is, is that when you have a very young writing staff, you got young guys that, uh, are, are essentially marks to the business, uh, which is not a bad thing. Quite frankly, it sounds negative, but it's not a bad thing. They, but they, they assume a little bit of power and, uh, they're on the inside. They're riding on the plane with Vince or they're in the meetings with Vince, whatever they get a little bulletproof. And so, and, and some of them are so young 
and with so few life experiences, Conrad, that they don't know how to handle problems like that. Uh, how do you, it's all, it comes back to one word, communication. Uh, when Crystal said, I, I didn't know, I tried to find out more about this storyline or that storyline. I'll tell you why she didn't get the information. They probably didn't have it. Right. They probably didn't know. They didn't book a storyline of the long arc. We're going to do this, this, and this. We're going to blow it off here. That, that theory of booking was out the door because everything was changing by the week. And, and I, I, I always, I've often said this, the minute by minute ratings had changed more booking ideas and concepts and theories than just about anything in the modern era of wrestling, the measurables being the minute by minute, it used to be the quarter hour, you know, it used to be judged by the every 15 minutes. Now you're judged by every 60 seconds. So if somebody got a great rating on uh, minute by minutes, uh, then all of a sudden they've become the, uh, the, the entree of the week. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I thought Crystal had a great look, a nice, nice young lady. Uh, the, always polite to me when I saw her. So that's all you, how I could deal with people is how they treat me. And she treated me fine and polite and professional, but I bet her questions weren't answered because they didn't know the answers. So, and then if you, it's like, it's like the Stacy Carter thing we've talked about. Yeah. You know, if you can't communicate well enough to, to answer a talent's questions, they have a right to ask these questions. They have a right to know how they're being cast in this fictional presentation. What is my role? Am I a good guy? Am I a bad guy? Do I kill the first scene? Uh, do I, what, what happens here? And sometimes those answers just aren't there. And that's something people say, oh, that can't be true. Absolutely true. When the minute by minutes come out and the, and the ratings change, uh, and somebody's pitched an idea in that young creative group whereby their idea had the, the, the great minute by minute rating. Now they're the star of the week. And so now their idea supersedes the other guy's idea who had the minute by minutes didn't do as well. It was a crazy system to be quite frank. And what it led to was a, a overt, uh, lack of continuity and wrestling fans are a whole lot smarter than some of those in the business perceive. Uh, and that comes from respect and paying attention to our fans. Uh, and today they're, they're smarter. They're more knowledgeable than ever, which I think is great because they hold, they, they make you be accountable. Uh, and, and they, they, they have a, they have a vested interest in what you're doing. They don't have to, they don't have to, they can go watch SVU or something, you know, whatever, but, uh, they, they are, it's just a, it's a crazy damn game, but that, I think that was the, the, uh, and I think we could see the, the, the beginnings of creative instability around, along those around that time, because again, Vince worked best in my opinion, when he had people close to him that he trusted. And that were uh, understood the game, Patterson, Pritchard, Jr., even JJ. When JJ was there, he had trusted guys that had been to the rodeo a couple of times and and tried to get on a couple of bulls. Some some of us made the eight seconds, some of us didn't. Sounds like my love life, but nonetheless, that's another story. Uh, but you know that's that was a deal. The creator was just all over the road, man, all over the road, and and, and more often than not, when that happens, it's not a good result. What was, uh, I mean, it, it, does Lashley wind up ultimately leaving in your opinion, because of the, the crystal situation, it's been rumored, uh, I, you know, who knows? I wasn't there that ultimately the person she had an issue with, and maybe Lashley did too, is Michael Hayes, but I've never asked Michael about it. I don't know. Lashley or crystal. what do you hear about their perceived heat or issue with Michael Hayes? 
I, I'm, I'm foggy on when uh, Bobby and Crystal uh, separated and got divorced. I guess they were still married when uh, uh, you're saying yeah. they're still married when Bobby left and when she left. It would be hard. Pre- I'd be hard pressed to say Conrad that one didn't have something to do with the other. Yeah, when you said Stacy Carter a minute ago, that's sort of what it made me think of. That maybe that's what you know is similar similar style situation to Lawler and her. Yeah, Stacy merely asked a qu- creative questions that her writing team could not answer, and she also had been around the business enough to know that what she did she could do well, and what she couldn't do well, and uh, they couldn't they couldn't give her an answer. So all of a sudden, when you ask more than one time, you're becoming a nuisance, and that's kind of what happened to. Uh, uh, in my opinion, what happened to Stacy? Because I don't think she deserved to be let go, but that was my orders. I carried them out best I could begrudgingly, regretfully, but we, I did my job. Uh, and so I think that might've been the situation here. It's hard to keep. I said this before there's challenges in administration. When you have, uh, uh, wrestlers on your roster that are a couple. Right. Because it's a very delicate situation because, uh, you know, the guy, uh, let's say the man of this relationship who's getting a little push, there's that word again, and they're working hard and they're doing their thing and they're getting some good shots or making some money. It's hard for them to represent their wives or their girlfriends, uh, in a creative conversation. It's obviously not overly objective. Uh, they're just trying to keep peace in the Valley, uh, and all that stuff. It's just tough. Wrestling relationships are tougher than hell. And some of the biggest, look, there's a lot of these in, 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 in the, in the business nowadays, I'll tell you at some point in time, I, I predict in 2020 that there'll be a major relationship breakup in one, in some company that's going to upset the apple cart where things got to, the, to they're going to have to push the reset button because it's just that daunting. They have done a nice job. I remember having to argue a point when we did the brand separation, you know, about guys that were dating or they had writing partners or whatever, you would, let's try to make the talent comfortable with this big change that we're doing. And, uh, it, it, it was, uh, you had to think for two and that's, uh, and Vince didn't like that aspect, but we did accomplish getting the, pair, the couples to stay together as best we could, but it's, it's a real daunting thing. So when Bobby left, uh, there was no reason. I think Crystal was there and then Bobby's presence and Bobby's potential enhanced crystals, uh, uh, employment. I think she, he was, he positively affected her being there, even though she was a beautiful woman, great body, you know, had personality, all that's a lot of sex appeal. Uh, there was just why well, keep crystal if she's asking questions that we can't answer. And so we'll just say that well, she's a troublemaker or she's just a problem more specifically and uh, off she went. So I, I'm thinking that this Michael Hayes component. And, and I haven't talked to Michael Hayes in years, uh, which is sad in, in, a, in a sense, because we've been friends for a long time. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I, I can't put my finger Conrad on this Michael Hayes component of this discussion regarding Lashley and crystal. There may have been something. I don't know. We've mentioned his name twice now well, regarding issues, alleged issues with Lashley. Uh, and, and I, and I'm thinking that, uh, you know, people are going to say, well, because of the topicality of, of the uh, Black Lives Matter situation, it was a racial thing. You know, Hayes, the Southern, the Confederate flag robe, and the Freebirds, uh, you know, persona and all that crap. Well, uh, you I, know. I don't know that. I mean, listen, we just compared it to 
And again, I don't know all the details, but we also made this comparison about Lawler and Stacey Carter, and that's clearly not the same thing. I think her point is you get labeled as hard to work with and people don't like that. And maybe it was more about her being a woman than her being African-American. We should mention though, the reason that I keep bringing this up is it's just fascinating that he's in the quote unquote real main event. I mean, the thing that helped draw the house, the battle of the billionaires, and then less than a year later, he's gone. And Meltzer would write Lashley received $250,000 for the WrestleMania match and complained to many of his friends, but was insistent. That was not the reason he quit the company. He was already bothered by a shoulder injury at the time of his biggest push, but worked through it until the end of July when he opted for surgery on a torn rotator cuff. While he was out, the company quietly fired his girlfriend, Crystal Marshall considered shocking because usually the girlfriend of a star, the level of Lashley is protected. Even though out of action for the last five months of the year, Lashley still earned right at 1 million, but in January, he made the decision to not go back on the road and quit the promotion. He was given a complete release. Here it is on the terms. He would not publicly disparage the company. That makes me raise an eyebrow and say, the fuck happened? Don't know. Don't know. John Laurinaitis is a charge of talent, Conrad. We talked about that. How would I know? I don't know what, what it was. Sure. I had no clue. Uh, I know uh, that I'm, I'm always oftentimes uh, scratching my head about how Meltzer knows these, the exact things the guys make, unless he's talking to those talents, right? Cause I was doing the payoffs. He sure as fuck didn't get it from me. I can promise you that, uh, that never, ever, ever did we talk about that. Uh, and I've talked to Dave plenty of times in my life concerning my friend. Uh, but n- I didn't share that information with anybody. So obviously it was somebody on Bobby's side or Bobby himself. Uh, complaining about his payoff. How would he know what a payoff should be? Right. How would, how would he know, uh, what a good payoff for that show would be? What number would he utilize? Uh, and so here's what I'll tell you. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's one of the oldest tricks in the wrestling locker room. Guys will stick a sharp stick, a dog with a sharp stick and, and just to hear him bark. So, uh, Bobby being, uh, uh, you know, naive in, in a lot of ways. He didn't understand how I remember talking to him about that, that payoff, you know, and you make 250 grand for a day's work. Oh yeah. Hard to beat. You know, I, I have a hard time to make, defending that, that you're, you're underpaid. And so a quarter million buck payoff or payday is a pretty damn impressive in my, in my world, my Oklahoma world, quite frankly, but some guys would get the talents to tell them what they were, what they made on a payoff. And then say, well, man, you got screwed. Well, you, mean, know, I, you know, so-and-so made this and then and guys believe it. In fairness though, if you hear, oh, we grossed $46 million and you know, well, shit, I'm in the prime time spot and I made a quarter of $1 million commensurate to, and I realize it's different, but commensurate to the paydays you would see in MMA or boxing. Uh, you might say, well, shit, I didn't get my fair shake here. I should have made well over a million dollars. If the total gross was 46 million. And again, that's the gross. That's not the net. That's before you pay for the building and the promotion and the travel and et cetera, et cetera. And everybody else in the card. Yes. There's only so much money allotted for the payroll. The talent pool monies was a, was a, uh, formulaic. So when I got the payoff, the sheets, they had the, the big box. Here's what the total talent budget is for this event. And so now it's the discretionary aspect comes into play. As long as talents were being paid 
discretionary monies, you're always going to have this exact same discussion because all of a sudden a wrestler becomes a fucking accountant. Hey, let me ask, and I'm not asking this to be funny because I realize you're going to laugh at just the, the, the premise of the question, but we often hear guys like, well, just recently, Paul Heyman, he had a, a contract as a performer and he had a contract as like a head writer. Uh, well, I know that that exists for talent too. So like triple H has a, a contract for the work he does behind the scenes, but then he also has a performer contract. When a guy like Vince McMahon has a big role on a pay-per-view like this, does he too, for the purpose of accounting, not because he fucking needs it, but for the purpose of accounting, does he too get a performer payoff? He could, but he didn't take it. Okay. He could. And I, I would always start out budgeting his payoff as a talent, uh, into my, into my, uh, uh, accounting into my payoff sheet. But, uh, in the very beginning, he said, spread the money out to other guys. Right. Or, or he may have something with Austin. He said, let's give my payday to Steve, you know, type deal. He was never, that was never an issue. So that that'll, that'll hopefully answer your question. But- oh no, it does. I mean, I just know sometimes people would hear that and they would think, well, no stupid, whatever's left over, he keeps, well, not exactly. I mean, it is a publicly traded company and it, just as a function of accounting, sometimes if you have a role that you do and everyone else was paid for that role, then maybe legally you have to be paid for that too, but we can scale it way, way down to it's just the minimum. And I mean, no. I, th- I think in, in the movie business, they call it scale or whatever. So we have to pay you something, but it'll be a minuscule amount, but there's at least something on the books, but Vince didn't always do that. You're saying. I don't remember him ever taking a payoff. Okay. Well, listen, this is, uh, quite a tangled little web for Bobby Lashley, but he's gone for the company for more than a decade. As you know, by now he moves on to work some, some indie shots and, uh, does very well for himself in TNA, uh, dabbles in MMA and does very well for himself. There comes back and finds himself in a prime time spot with WWE again. Uh, he's obviously one of those never say nevers, but given the way he left and as long as he stayed away, I think a lot of people thought, well, he's probably done along the way. Did you see any of his stuff he did with impact? Oh, sure. Yeah. I watched a lot of wrestling and you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bobby kept working on his game and he was fun to watch. Um, the, I, I, I take exception to the way that he left argument, uh, in the respect of comparing it to his 10 year absence. Being gone a decade and coming back was much more impressive and unique to me yeah. than quote, than quote unquote, how he left, uh, he left hurt. Uh, you know, he'd made a lot of money, uh, that he had a great year. Uh, I think he got a little burned out too. Again, we're not talking about a guy who's a lifer now he's become a lifer, but you know, he had gone through, uh, uh, you know, the, the growing process, whole nine yards. So I, I think that, uh, his 10 year absence. And coming back and then having a position as he does today, uh, of, of, of some level of main event significance is much more unique than his exit. We should mention if you're curious, uh, he did very well in MMA. I had 17 matches, 15 wins, two losses. One of his losses was to James Thompson. He would go back and avenge that one in 54 seconds and pick up a win. So, you know, I, I think. No matter if you were a, an impact guy or you were a WWE guy, no matter where your allegiances were pro wrestling wise, whenever one of the quote unquote boys ventures off into MMA, they pretty much gets unanimous support from wrestlers nationwide. Do they not? 
Oh yeah. One of our own, right. you know, that's, uh, guys that were in the pro wrestling business that had never met Brock Lesnar became big fans of Brock Lesnar, the, the UFC star. Right. Uh, and I think even though he's the Bellator's pull their horns in right now during, during the, the uh, virus, you know, uh, Jake Hager, uh, is on that same type of role. You know, he hasn't lost yet. And so, uh, it'd be, it's yeah. So I think everybody supports our, 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 or at least we should. And I think that we do is so I think the best illustration is again, guys that never knew who Brock Lesnar, they knew who he was. I take that's stupid to say, but who didn't know him personally took a personal investment in his career in the USC, which, uh, you know, was pretty significant. Yes, it was. And listen, I, I enjoyed breaking down Bobby Lashley today. I'm glad that he's still in the ring doing his thing. And it made sense for us to, uh, shine a spotlight on him today because it was his birthday. And, uh, I don't know, man, I, I'm excited to see what the future has for him because he's one of those guys who, you know, we've often talked about on the other side, you know, uh, JJ Dillon and, and Arn Anderson, they've looked 50 their whole career. Bobby Lashley somehow is like the Benjamin button of wrestling. <laughs> he doesn't look the same age. He looks younger than ever. And, and I don't know, I don't think the end is in sight. I think, you know, again, we don't know exactly what his aches and pains look like. Maybe a little less if he's using CBD MD, but the point is he's only 43 years old and we're seeing guys wrestle, you know, past 50, pretty, pretty routinely now. I mean, look at what Jericho has been able to do. And again, not comparing the two, but. Jericho undertaker, triple H we've seen guys have a, a sustained run for a long, long time on top. And I hope that Lashley has that same level of, of experience. Yeah. Me too. Conrad. He's a Bobby's a, a really good guy. And I, I'm just thinking back to that, uh, Nittis brought him to see me at a TV to, to talk, to discuss, uh, how he's getting paid. Bobby was confused about, you know, in WWE. If you want to, when you got, you sign a contract and let's say it's for, uh, uh, $104,000 a year, that's two grand a week. So you can take your two grand a week, every week, if that's what you choose. And the monies you earn over that are held for one year, that one year, that contract year. And then you're getting, a, you're getting a, a lump sum check for the overage. Most guys, uh, didn't want that. They wanted to make all the money that they had coming immediately, uh, when the payroll was processed and, and let the cards fall where they may, uh, those that were, that didn't seem to be good money managers, uh, or were really, really young. I would always suggest to them that if you can live on your downside guarantee, and we'll try to make sure that happens, uh, cause all those downside guarantees for the rest of back in that era, not all, I say all is bad term, but most, the vast majority. Uh, could live off their downside guarantee. They wanted all their money immediately. The reason I would encourage taking your weekly is because they would have that big lump sum check coming at the end of the year that they could pay their taxes with that little thing called, you know, the quarterly taxes. Uh, so that was something I always suggested, but most guys didn't take that advice and then they would take all their money. And then when tax time came, uh, they would call the office and need an advance in their royalties or advance on this to pay their fucking taxes. When I explained to you. If you're going to take all your money, you got to take some of that money out and put it into a tax account. Well, that was confusing. Uh, that was not the way they wanted to do it. They had a better feel for it than anybody else. And so then they get in tax trouble. Uh, you know, I had a guy, one, I had a, I had a one time a guy, uh, our Ed Kaufman came to me, our legal counsel and said, I got a letter from the IRS on so-and-so I'm not going to say it was. And, uh, he hasn't filed his taxes in two years. 
Well, if you're uh, look, I'll give you some tax advice, folks. If you're in America, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but in America, if you're an independent contractor, you goddamn sure better file. You may not have the money to pay. So you're saying, well, why should I file if I can't pay? Because filing doesn't come up on the radar as not filing and where you're trying to embezzle money. It's real simple file. And so we got guys that weren't even filing. that were making seven figures a year, uh, cause they were buying all the bling they could carry out of the store. Just uh, made no sense. So, uh, but Bobby's one of the good guys. I remember having that talk with him. He was totally confused and I'm very surprised that Larnitis didn't clarify that with him, but you know, I was the older guy and you know, been there and all that crap. So Jr. I'll take care of you. He'll, he'll explain this to you. And I, and I did, and I tried to, but so he, he, he had a good run there in that and during my time there, I thought he made money, uh, in 2007, as you said, uh, he had a, a golden opportunity. I think one of the issues about Bobby at that time may have been that he was perceived a little bit injury prone and quite honestly, Conrad, a lot of these guys are heavily muscled thick, you know, a lot of density, their tendons don't get bigger, right? That's why you tear biceps and try the tendon stays the same size. The tendon, uh, through use of, of, of substances does not strengthen. You just get more muscle mass and that puts more pressure on those tendons. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's guys I can name right now. I'm not going to, but there's guys I can name right now on a lot of TV shows that, uh, are very heavily muscled. And so you're just thinking, well, somewhere sooner than later, unfortunately, hope I'm wrong. They're going to tear something. You know, our buddy, Scott Steiner's a good example. Oh, Scotty's tore hell. How many muscles? Well, Batista's tore his fair share too. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. A lot of them, man. And so it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise. Oh, you know, this, he, he tore some too. You know, yeah, of course. That's what, the, that's what happens when you get those, those specimens like that, that are, are, are bigger than they need to be. So, uh, but again, the peer pressure and what they expect the office wants without saying what they want is, uh, well, as you can tell who's getting pushed, there's that word who's getting pushed and they happen to be big guys with lots of big muscles and they're, and they're very fragile, quite frankly, much more fragile than they look. Well, we're going to be giving the big push next week to fully loaded 2000. And I, I can't believe it, but we have had a ton of requests for this show. Uh, my social media has blown up in recent weeks, but the main event of fully loaded 2000 is the rock and Chris Benoit. Shane McMahon, believe it or not, is with Chris Benoit. And the rule here is if the rock is disqualified, he would lose the title. And we've got triple H with Stephanie in tow, taking on Chris Jericho in a last man standing match. We've got the undertaker working with Kurt angle. We've got Val Venus and Trish Stratus in his corner, working with Rikishi in a steel cage for the intercontinental title. We've got the APA working with edge and Christian for the tag titles. Perry Saturn is in there with Eddie Guerrero and Eddie has China by his side for the European title. Taz is working with Al snow. And of course, got to have a little head in there. And the Hardy boys are going to be uh, teaming up with Lita to take on TNA, which is test and Albert. And they're tagging with Trish Stratus. It is a star studded event. You don't want to miss it. And it's next week right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling. But in the meantime, to hold you over, well, you need to go pick up the new book under the black hat. We did a tease for it earlier. You're still shipping those books. You're still personalizing them. You can get something dropped in there about the chocolate cake or the push or whatever they're looking for <laughs> at jrsbbq.com, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're, you know, it's grilling season folks. So we, we really put our, 
my mom and Jan's, uh, uh, JR's original barbecue sauce up against anybody's, uh, the Chipotle ketchup is really cool. Uh, I, I warm a little bit up and use it for steak sauce. It's really good. Kind of reminds me of a, a little bit of the Peter Luger steak sauce that you can get online, mm. which is very good by the way. Uh, and, uh, our, our, uh, mustard has become a big baby face. Uh, one gram of sugar, uh, jalapeno, honey, mustard's amazing. So, uh, it's all good. The seasoning goes on anything. I appreciate everybody's business and we're getting a lot of repeat business, which means people are buying our sauces and they're liking them. I just wish we could ship everywhere in the world easily, but with the virus, with restrictions on importing food, things of that nature, it makes it very, very daunting. Uh, I wish we could take care of everybody. I'd love to do that. Not simply from the standpoint of making more business and having more business. But, uh, the fact that people could enjoy it. And I'd like that. I, I like that aspect that people are enjoying what my wife and my mother, uh, help create, uh, it's a family thing. So, uh, it's all good, man. And, and, uh, and I'm having a blast Conrad. I appreciate you watch every week on, uh, AEW Wednesday nights, eight, seven central doing great on TNT. I should be so glad that we can get back into an audience environment, but I don't know kind of what your thoughts are on it, but I, I just don't see it happening very anytime soon. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, quite frankly, no, what, listen, what, by the way, things are going. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to see things be a little more cautious and shut down a little more. And gosh, I hope that we're not knee deep in the second wave and it's a total shutdown, but, uh, I'm not optimistic that we're going to get to see wrestling the way we used to until next year. But in the meantime, we can still bring you the hits from yesteryear here on grill and Jr. We appreciate your support. Follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's at Jr. grilling. And oh, by the way, you could have gotten this show early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. We're having a whole lot of fun, including great feedback that we got recently about you and I watching old mid South wrestling. We saw a title change between the midnight express and the rock and roll express from 84. And then we even went further back in time to 1982 and saw a very svelte JYD as I had never seen him before. <laughs> and man, he was tearing it down with Ted DiBiase. Also later this month, we're going to jump into some 1986 mid South. You don't want to miss it. All this is happening over at adfreeshows.com, including the favorite uh, of the entire channel on the road. Again, we're just setting up you and Tony Schiavone on a road trip with a couple of cameras and just let you guys go. Yeah. I have a blast doing that. It's fun. Uh, it's so much fun. Uh, getting Tony, uh, back at the announce desk and working together with him, you know, Excalibur compliments our, our older styles and our more traditional styles extremely well. Uh, I believe that our broadcast team without breaking my arm, patting myself on the back, it will stand the test of, uh, with, against anybody's uh, broadcast teams in, in today's game, not knocking these guys, just saying that, you know, we're a new team. We, we got together in October. We're still getting our, our rhythm and our dance steps together, but I am loving that. And, and then working with Tony is so much more, so much fun. Uh, and, and, and this, uh, these ride alongs that we do is just, they're a blast, man. I mean, we laugh and, uh, you know, and the, the guys edit it, do a great job. Your team does a phenomenal job of, of adding graphics. It's really cool. And I'm so glad that we we're doing that. And I hope that we could do a lot more on this uh, to, to folks might want to know how we do that. Uh, other than the lipstick cameras, but Tony and I, when we go to Jacksonville, oftentimes when I'm, when I'm going to fly home, uh, I fly from Atlanta. So I don't have to get on, get on, but one airplane in my high risk group for this virus. So he and I take the drive from Jacksonville to Atlanta. And we've done the other side too, where I've taken one flight over from Oklahoma city 
to Atlanta. Tony picks me up at the airport. We begin our drive. So that's how we, we work that out. No planning, no production notes. Hey, Tony, let's talk about this. Let's work out our match and let's rehearse. I'll slap my leg and then, <laughs> and then you can slap my face. I love you, Jim. Listen, go check out all the fun we're having right now at adfreeshows.com. We appreciate your support until next time. He is at Hey, or I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. He is at JR's BBQ and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here for fully loaded 2000 with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Ross heavy on the Mr. Heavy. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.